Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Kimberly Dondo and in today's episode I'm joined by Martin Gilby, UK Country Manager at Franklin Templeton. Uh, So thank you for joining me today, Martin. It's uh, very nice to be here, Kimberly. Very nice. Thank you. Um, So could you give us a bit of a background into yourself and how you got started in financial services? Uh, Yes. um... I, uh, well, we're going back a few years now, um, but mm-hmm. I um, uh, graduated in 1994, actually with an English literature degree, which is interesting. Wow. Because, um, I don't know how many um, English graduates come into our industry or financial services or certainly investment management now. Uh-huh. I suspect perhaps not as many as when I started, but I did start in sort of, excuse me, in generalist banking. So I did a few years uh, on a graduate scheme with a bank, and and that's where I got my first exposure to investment management, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know alongside um, banking, obviously, and investment banking, retail banking, and a bit of insurance, and I and I kind of decided pretty quickly that investment management was the area of financial services that I was most interested in, and then I I was um, fortunate enough to um, with the bank that I worked for had an asset management firm, so that's where I got the exposure, and then. And then I got my sort of first job in, excuse me, in the industry, and, mm-hmm. and ran from there. Um, and that point about the degree is, I think, interesting because certainly at the time, you know, not just uh, financial services, but I think professional services, generally law, people were looking for a wide um, canvas of graduate knowledge and backgrounds and skills and. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps we'll touch upon this later, but I think you know, under the the under the subject of diversity and inclusion, um, and just a particular diversity point, I guess, just making sure that the industry attracts a wide slate of not just talent but perspectives and people mm-hmm. with different backgrounds. I, th- I think that's really important. So I would like to think that somebody who was an English graduate and interested in our industry would still have the opportunity to, to, to join us. Yeah, definitely. I think um, at 18, when you choose that degree, you have no idea what path you want to go down. And then I think once you have graduated, you have a bit more of an idea. So I like the, I like that you were able to, you know, move from what would be the arts to something, you know, within finance. Um, and I think, you sh- everyone should have that freedom. I went from science to working in the arts, um, so kind of opposite. But yeah. yeah, I think I think there's no linear path anymore. And I I think again going back to that diversity thing, um, that's the best way forward, um, just to be more inclusive. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to know what is the current strategy and focus areas of Franklin Templeton in the UK and how do they align with market trends? 
Yes, well, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, so let's let's. Um, why don't we start with the kind of I guess the business strategy, and then and then move on to what is currently going on because it's well seemingly always fascinating. But I can't think of a time that's been this interesting. Uh, brackets challenging industry, mm-hmm. uh, not just in the UK, but I think you know in, in many markets uh, as the current market in which we're operating. So I'm sure we can talk about that. Um, uh, in a bit more detail in the second or two. I think in terms of our, our strategy, you asked about our UK strategy. And I think what's interesting there is we do have a UK strategy, which is a subset of our global strategy. And and really the two overlap or, or one is a subset of the other. I mean, globally, I think we are clearly on a path to to do what we call building the firm of the future. Mm. Um, that's really a reflection of the fact that our industry is going through so much change, whether that's regulatory, um, whether it's kind of market driven, uh, as in markets, or whether it's client um, demand driven uh, and innovation on things like technology. But there's a there's a, 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 a big pivot point, I think, in our industry. And for the last few years, certainly Franklin Templeton has been thinking very deeply about that. And then I think more impressively, actually, than just thinking about it, we've actually been putting our dollars, our investment dollars to work to to evolve um, and in some some ways, excuse me, radically change uh, our business model. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, a, you know, a few examples of that um, just since really 2020, a number of the acquisitions we've done uh, have been, uh, you know, Tick any of the above, building scale, adding um, new capability, responding to client demand. So the Franklin Templeton that I joined in 2017, I think, was about $700 billion globally of, of assets under management. You know, we're closer to one and a half trillion, excuse me, now 1.4, I think. Uh, and, and that's not just scale for scale's sake. We can come back to why, from a business model perspective, we think that's important to, to either be, you know, at the scale end of the market, or indeed very boutique, um, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, the other business model that will work in the future. But we've also diversified our business. We've diversified in terms of client uh, category that we typically serve. So I think the old Franklin, particularly in the US, was was more retail focused. Mm-hmm. The and transaction that we did, which was sort of transformative for us in 2020, had a, a bigger institutional um uh, client base, so we've rebalanced um, our business between retail and institutional, um, and obviously we've the other area of diversification, apart from geog, geog, sorry, geographic, is is asset class diversification, mm-hmm. and that's the other, I think, big. There's been three sources that have been driving sources of inspiration, if you like, that have been driving our, our M and A. Um, you know, one is the scale question I've already talked about. The second is um, technology, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more during our conversation today. Um, some of the investments have been around um, technology. And then mm-hmm. the third area is really alternatives versus traditional assets. And we spent a lot of time and dollars on building out, um, which what is now, I think, one of the world's largest, certainly diverse alternative investment platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all about building the firm of the future. Um, uh, and that's not just Componentry, that's not just kind of asset class or investment skill that we've been acquiring and, and bringing into our business. It's also, as I said, technology, but 
But it's other things as well. I think, we'll, and we'll perhaps again talk about this. You know, clients, I think, are fundamentally, um, when I talk about clients, I should clarify, I'm not talking about end investors. I'm talking, we're largely an intermediated business. So we, you know, we, we, we distribute it to the market through advisors of one form or another. Right. Um, but those, those distribution businesses are themselves changing. There's a lot of consolidation going on in the pension market, in the wealth management market, in the advisor market. And we have to respond to that. And so I think, you know, our clients are looking to deal with asset managers in a different way. And that's also what I mean by building a firm of the future in terms of just thinking about what partnership looks like um, and what serving our clients uh, looks like. And then the final piece of that, I think, which, again, we might touch upon is, is talent. You know, we need, mm. back to our uh, earlier comments, we need um, not necessarily different um skills and knowledge in investment management we need people from different backgrounds to employ those skills and knowledge and i think that's critical for um you know a, a critical component part of our business strategy yeah yeah um and i wondered in your role what key trends are you observing within um the asset management sector as a whole and what challenges and opportunities do you see these trends presenting yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Julie, because I think, as I, as I mentioned earlier, this is really one of the most challenging times I can remember um, in, in my career in terms of where markets are, um, where um, client confidence is. There's a lot mm-hmm. of a macro level in the world around us today, um, you know, whether that's geopolitics, whether it's innovation and disruption coming from technology, whether it's the regulatory landscape, which I think is as busy as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of um, inputs that create a big output called challenging markets. And and as I say, it's um, it's certainly more intense than I remember the, the sort of period around 2016 when we had the, the Brexit vote in this country. And yeah. I'd say it's on par and perhaps even exceeds the great financial crisis in terms of its longevity. I think back to the crisis, you know, that felt existential at the time. I'm not sure uh, there were points in sort of 08, 09, where we weren't sure what the future looked like. But actually, policymakers, governments, the industry um, made some pretty radical, bold decisions, which actually quite quickly reverted as into a period of, you know, looking back, what now was a period of cheap money and high growth. Yeah. This market that we're in at the moment, which has, you know, lasted 12 months and could last well into next year, um, feels, uh, well, it's certainly longer in terms of its duration of impact on people's confidence to invest. So so it is a challenging macro environment. Um, you know, I think uh, I was listening to a bank CEO give an update um, last week, the last couple of weeks, and they were saying that geopolitics in their career has never been as important and is the number one risk that we're all, um, you know, faced with. And, and there's obviously some some obvious geopolitical risks, you know, around what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, potentially kind of China's expansionist strategy. All of these things have a bearing on investor appetite and investor risk. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, they're not all negatives. I mean, you know, in, in any scenario, um, uh, there will always be um, an optimist looking at, you know, well, where is where is the investment opportunity? 
Um, and uh, and a good example at the moment is a lot of investors are, are looking more closely at India, for example, as yeah. a, a hedge to where China is in emerging market in, indices um, mm-hmm. and Asian indices. So it's just one example of where people pivot and they sort of think and look for other opportunities. And that's in no way to say that China doesn't represent still an, an incredible investment case. It just means that people look through that lens in a different way. Um, but there's some other geopolitical um, angles which I think are really interesting. And somebody said to me the other day, I found this very interesting. I think it's the only time it will ever happen. In 2024, yeah, four billion people will go will have an election that is, um, you know, by any measure, free and fair and democratic. Yeah. And what's more interesting than four billion of whatever we are, seven and a half, eight billion people? More than 50% of the world's GDP is represented in those elections. Wow. So 2024 will be a, a standout year for um, testing the democratic model, for um, seeing where um, democracy goes in terms of you know, right-left polarisation, globalisation. All of these things, I think, will be um, front of mind for investors. Um, mm. For money managers and so it's a very interesting kind of market condition that we are that we're facing and then of course you've got some fundamentals like you know we're still dealing with inflation you know have interest rates peaked are they going to come down you know where the western democracies in particular and you know we can talk about the uk where does growth come from um mm-hmm. because, you know it all looks pretty anemic and if you saw andrew bailey's comments last week potentially downgrading the next two years worth of forecasting growth for the UK, it all looks pretty grim. Mm. And, and we're seeing just in terms of where the demand has been for cash and short duration funds versus kind of active management and perhaps risk on investment strategies. All of that combined is made, as I say, for, for, for a difficult um, current um, investing landscape. But people have to make money. You know, we are one of the one of the structural themes in the UK um, is that for the last ten or so years, um, perhaps a little bit longer, as individuals in the UK, government policy has effectively meant that we are all taking more responsibility for our own, you know, financial well-being and long-term savings and investments security. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, I would argue, I think lots of us would argue, the industry has not fully. Um, adapted to that new reality it hasn't we haven't seen the innovation around advice and guidance that i think we need to see so that more people have access to appropriate advice or guidance um but the but the reality is no one's going to do that for us we're going to have to do that ourselves uh, when i say we i mean you know we as individuals uh, a society and, and our industry that supports um uh, uh, the uk uh, consumer so yeah. um, we're all going to have to get a lot better at this and and um, and get more involved. I think we're going to see another trend is we're going to see more individuals taking more interest and getting more involved in um, in their long term savings and investment strategy in their financial well being. Mm-hmm. I think we'll put pressure on regulators and policymakers to accelerate some of the improvements we need to see. You know whether that's for example pensions dashboards, wealth management dashboards that um, effectively give you the same access to your investment savings products that we can all currently get through sort of open banking on our current accounts. 
Yeah, that's that's really really important. I think um, you know DC schemes, um, their current kind of uh, approach to being um, more obsessed with cost than and than perhaps value is constraining DC pension schemes' ability to invest in alternative assets. That has to change. I mean, that's the government saying that it has to change. That's not just industry saying that's a good idea. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, consolidated DC pension schemes as an idea, I think a fantastic innovative idea to challenge kind of the old DB schemes. Yeah. The pot for life concept that, that we certainly at Franklin have been thinking about for a while, we was really pleased to see that in the in the latest um, update from, from Treasury. Um, which is all about empowering individuals uh, rather than as individuals are being told by our employers or by, you know, advisors employed by our employers are telling us what to do. Yeah. Um, so I see, so I see lots of, lots of change. I think more democratization, more customization and personalization uh, driven by technology and driven by regulation. Um, but that should all net out to a position where we're better informed as a, mm-hmm. as a, um, people are taking more responsibility, making more active decisions, relying mm-hmm. on a better advice framework to support that. Because let's face it, we can't all, um, you know, be uh, be uh, IFAs and, and do with our own money. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm I'm very optimistic about the future, notwithstanding the fact that current markets are, you know, pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I like that viewpoint. Um, what I've been seeing is that yeah there will be a bigger need for uh advisors for sure in a lot of these decisions um and hopefully the demand will be there going back to that conversation we had right at the beginning about whether you know like an english graduate might want to move into this particular field but um i wanted to also know um if you could provide any insights into the conversations you are currently having uh, with client groups, what are they most concerned about? What are they most interested in knowing more about? Yeah, so look, I think if you speak to a lot of clients at the moment, our clients, um, then, you know, traditionally we would have an investment-led conversation. So, you know, where is your asset allocation model where are you underweight, overweight, asset class, the asset class? And, you know, for example, with inequities, where are you on global versus regional versus single country? Where are you on growth versus value, et cetera? Um, that still persists, but but it's notable that those conversations are often secondary to how on earth am I supposed to manage the consumer duty? You know, how, how do I incorporate that into my business model? How do I make sure that I can sleep easy at night, making sure that we are, um, you know, doing the right thing by our customers mm-hmm. uh, in terms of regulatory change? Um, asset managers would say, you know, we spend a lot of time now on, uh, have spent a lot of time on it, an assessment of value and then consumer duty. And then we look forward and we think about SDR and we think about consultations on um, just today, uh, consultation paper came out on the offshore funds regime, which is a big issue for big groups like ours. Um, you know, government policy on pensions um, really does percolate directly into the industry um, because smart people are trying to think about how we can innovate um, to deliver not just the government mandate on kind of unlocking um, or, or, or unlocking growth by 
increasing investment in UK equities in particular and alternatives, private markets from pension scheme money. And so there's, 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 the, the client conversation has been enriched, if you like, by, mm-hmm. by lots of things that aren't just pure investment um, conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and often it comes from these conversations start from a position of kind of scratching your head and thinking this is a problem I have to solve. Um, that uh, w- when it gets into that solving um, area of the conversation, that when it becomes you know very powerful and and it loops back to that point I made before about you know it's a different way in which traditional manufacturers like ourselves as investment managers are talking and engaging and partnering with our customers who tend to be more of the distribution businesses. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think I think the kind of, sorry, it's a long-winded way of saying when we meet clients now, we're not just talking about bonds and equities and hedge funds and real estate. You know, we're talking yeah. consumer duty and tokenization and sustainable finance and you know, lots of other um, related points. The, the other conversation starter that I've been having recently with people, um, uh, two things really, uh, they stand out for me. One is, you know, the UK is the world's second largest investment management market by AUM, second mm-hmm. only to the US. And actually, the US, although it's much, much bigger, it's really a domestically focused market. So you could argue the UK is the world's leading international asset management market. I think we manage 40% of our AUM here is managed on behalf of overseas customers. We manage 30% of the EU um, population's investments, uh, which in aggregate is bigger than France and Germany and the Netherlands you know, put together. So we're a sizable market here. When, mm-hmm. I, when we, sorry, when we look at the market every year, this year, for example, we think no more than about three to four percent of the market will move in terms of new money. So we call it money in motion. So either new money coming into the industry or mm-hmm. money being, you know, um, customers clients switching from one fund group to another in the same asset class. So, you know, that's telling you that, that let's call it round numbers, 95% of a 10 trillion pound market is static and is not moving. Mm-hmm. And of course, you wouldn't want to see 100% turnover in, in any market because that's not healthy in terms of the fees that the underlying customers will pay. But it still seems to me a relatively small amount of, um, of the money that we manage in this market kind of seeking um, a new home, looking for better returns, different strategies. And so I think that statistic tells you that there is plenty of room for innovation and growth um, for smart managers. The other statistic um, that I sort of, it's quite alarming actually. And again, one of the wealth management CEOs um, said this to me the other day in, in passing that of the adult population that should qualify for some form of financial advice, so not all adults, but just those who will have a level of um, assets or wealth at some point in their life, which means they probably need some advice. The percentage number in America, in North America, is 34%. So 34% of people that ought to get advice do get advice. The equivalent number in the UK is 8%. Mm-hmm. And that is quite an alarming statistic. Um, mm-hmm. Now, statistics down to statistics, it, 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 what's partly driving that is we have you know, um, pension freedoms, we have the growth of the final contribution market um, mm-hmm. still really in its accumulation phase. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of us have not yet got to retirement where we're having to make decisions with our, our DC pots, which are going to be fundamental to our long-term well-being in retirement. 
So the numbers are relatively low because we haven't a lot of this haven't yet got to the point where we need that advice. But it mm -hmm. still tells you that um, we are underserved in the UK market for advice. And if I was an IFA, I'd take great comfort in that statistic and think I had a lot of growth ahead of me as an industry and as a you know as a firm as as an individual IFA. And I wondered in today's market. What opportunities um, do you see for both investors and asset managers? And how are you uh, positioning yourselves to capitalize on these opportunities? Good question. Um, I think at an asset class level, um, the, big, the big opportunity for me structurally is um, what we call the democratization of alternatives for retail customers. Mm -hmm. So essentially, at the moment, alternatives, which let's face it, are um, quite expensive. They're capacity constrained, which is partly why prices where they where where it's at. They're generally illiquid. Um, so we're talking about you know hedge funds, private equity, private credit, corporate real estate. Um, these are underlying asset classes that are that tend to be and have historically tended to be accessed only by the smartest kind of institutional at scale investors. Right. Um, you know, I think everybody in this market, for example, and I mean, I mean by that government policy makers, um, regulators and the industry certainly have recognized that it's kind of not fair that retail investors can't get exposure in a full asset allocation model to the same broad makeup of assets that institutional investors can. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think the advent of the LTAF that we've seen in the last 12, 18 months, you know, world record timing for government, regulator and industry to get together and create this new vehicle, um, which will, you know, is one way that we will enable retail investors to start accessing private market exposure. Um, you know, we don't want to rush into it, right, because it's, it's, it is an asset class that's, that's constructed the way it is for, for specific reasons. You know, you can't hold... Um, a 10-year lockup private equity fund in a daily dealing in a usage fund. It's not the right structure. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. from, a, from a generating a well-balanced, diversified set of returns on your investment profile, we have to get, we have to find ways for more retail customers to access alternative investments. Mm -hmm. So that's one very big um, area, I think, of, of demand and, and trend that we're going to see. And, and as I said earlier, you know, Franklin Templeton has been very, um, active in that space, you know, we've acquired um, Alcentra and, and in the private credit space, and Lexington Partners in the um, in the private secondary private equity market. Both of those are UK-based, world-class alternative managers mm -hmm. um, that are UK-based. So we have products, you know, in the UK, but they, but they distribute globally as well. We're looking at um, uh, an unlisted infrastructure manager. Um, so. That partly kind of answers your earlier question as well. You know, what is what's our UK strategy versus our global strategy? Yeah. I can be a global asset manager unless you are at scale and are taking advantage of you know the skills and resources that are available in this market. And I think the the acquisitions of Alcetra and Lexington and anything else we do, which are UK based businesses, um, is is testament to that. Apart from alternatives, I mean, I think there's a couple of others. Retirement income is going to be a big theme. Yeah. Lots of people in DC land have been 
and are necessarily focused on the accumulation side of that trade. Yeah. We're all thankfully young enough to be uh, hopefully accumulating wealth rather than spending it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is going to come a point in demographics where more of us reach that kind of minimum threshold of 55 at the moment. I know it's going up in a couple of years, 58. But you know, more of us are going to have access to our pension pots earlier and they're going to have to make some fundamental decisions about how we use our pension assets in particular in a different way to sustain you know, greater longevity, long, living longer retirement and needing an income from those mm-hmm. assets. So I think you know, retirement income used to be the preserve of, of either an annuity or some kind of income drawdown or, or a combination of those two things. One of the things that the pension freedoms legislation did in this country was to, to open up that market to lots of new innovation. And we haven't seen too much of it yet. It's it's tough because, you know, most smart people can hedge interest rate risk and they can hedge um inflation risk what you can't hedge because you don't know is is longevity risk because we don't know how long each of us is going to be around for mm-hmm. so it's an area i think of great demand and we have yet as an industry in total to see some really good innovation innovative products coming through so you've got alternatives um, for wealth for retail you've got retirement income and then i think the third area of, of innovation or demand that we're going to see is technology driving greater customization and again, Franklin Tumbleton, particularly in the US, where we're seeing um, some of these trends um, being more developed than they are they are here. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've spent money on investing in smart technology in the US that I think will have applications in markets like the UK. Which, without boring you now, will well, they're in two areas really. They're around the area of tokenization. So how do we use yeah. technology to to drive greater efficiencies in the way that we operate our, our industry. And that, yeah. has to, that has to be to the end benefit of the of the end investor, you know, paying less um, for um, the important, but dare I say it, slightly more boring bits of how we how we deliver investment management. Yeah. So the blockchain tokenization um, world. Uh, and then the other world uh, that's interesting is, as I say, um, personal finance technology, which enables that um loops back to my earlier point about we're all going to have to take more responsibility for our own financial futures we're going to be using our phones and potentially engaging with different forms of advice hybrid advice doing mm-hmm. our search you know i think technology has that can only happen if we have trusted smart algorithmic you know technology that's going to be that can be trusted and is mm-hmm. going to enhance the way advisors do their jobs and the way smart investors engage with advisors and, and do some of their own stuff as well. So th- those are the sort of on the retail side of the business that I see the sort of trends that are that are pretty much upon us now, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that also um, contributes to transparency for um, clients and everyone who's using those services, especially with something like blockchain which is something I was very interested in a couple of years ago when I first heard about it. Um, but I wanted to know if you could, with your extensive experience, um, what advice do you have for financial advisors navigating the current market conditions, whether they are slightly grim or whether they could be more optimistic about them? I don't know. Yeah, it's... Um... It's a great question, and part of me, if I had my time again, much as I've loved and love my career in investment management, I've also 
always thought that a career as a financial advisor would have been very enriching and rewarding. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think the big challenge, as I've already said, for the industry is uh, the advice industry has to find a way to serve more customers. Yes. Uh, in a way that they can do that economically in a smart way, they can make money, but also ultimately serves more UK, you know, talking about the UK market. Um, mm-hmm. That's not really, for, you know, Franklin Tumbleton is not going to enter the advice market, right? We're not going to, um, uh, we're not going to deliver pensions, for example. You can buy a pension from Franklin Templeton. And mm-hmm. hopefully we'll buy some smart pensions that are powered by Franklin Templeton technology and investments. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to be delivering kind of advice into the market. We're, we're essentially an investment manager. So I think when I look at the advice market, whether whether you're a wealth planner, a more traditional client stockbroker, or you're trying mm-hmm. to deliver a robo-advisor, simplified guidance into the market, I think um, probably my answer would have been the same if you asked me 10 years ago, right? Irrespective mm-hmm. of the current markets, I think you have to focus on your core competency, mm-hmm. as in you don't try and be too many things to too, too many people. We've seen... Yeah. We've seen more wealth planners, I guess, outsource portfolio construction and fund selection to to kind of discretionary fund managers, multi-asset providers, fund managers. I think that's that's the right thing to do because mm-hmm. the advisor to be um, focusing their service proposition on you know holistic advice, life planning, wealth planning. So I think focus on your core competency. Know what that is. Um, you cannot you cannot operate now. The second one I'd say is you cannot operate now without being completely transparent on how you what you define as being valuable and what value is. So mm-hmm. we've seen that with the assessment of value framework imposed on fund managers. We're seeing it with the consumer duty. Mm-hmm. Now I think people have to be very clear now. Um, and it extends into costs and charges and, and fees and how, you know, what, what you pay for platform versus advice versus investment management. But I think being um, proactively transparent on what constitutes value mm-hmm. is, is really, really important. And, and, and third, third and lastly, I think, you know, this is a consolidating market. It's a complex market. There's lots of different participants, the boundaries between who's a wealth manager and who's a fund manager and who's a platform and who's a, yeah, that's all, that's all blurring in many cases. Mm. But I think if, if you focus on what you are as a core competent, competency, you're going to have to find trusted partners in the market. So I think, you know, you focus on what you're good at, you know, be able to define what value is and work with trusted partners is where I think, you know, I qualify that by saying we're not an IFA, so somebody could be listening to say he's talking total rubbish. He has no idea. <laughs> but that feels to me based on my engagement market, you know, mm-hmm. where people are focusing. No, I think that is quite accurate. And um also like touching on that uh consumer duty piece, um, and given the ever-changing regulatory environment, how does Franklin Templeton um ensure compliance while staying agile to capitalize on emerging mark em- emerging trends? Um yeah, the, the simple answer is we take it very seriously. Um so we engage uh I think we're very fortunate in this country to have the investment association being as well resourced. Uh, and skilled as it is to to talk with one voice to regulators and government 
on behalf of the industry, and we're very active. Yeah. Frankly, Templeton has this you know, clear view that, yes, we're a global business, but we operate in local markets, and we have to be um, we have to be seen to be, and we are leading in in certain key markets, and the UK is one of those. So, mm-hmm. you know, myself and and a, and a number of colleagues are highly engaged in work with um, not just the investment association to the regulator, but with the regulator directly. I'm, I'm seeing them this week, for example, um, on the subject of tokenization. Uh, I met with their, all their senior leadership last week. We, you have to have really good engagement. The regulator will never give you a a massive um, 10 out of 10 big green tick in the box because that's not what regulators do. Mm-hmm. But to help minimise the kind of some of the noise we get in the market, it's just smart to have a, a, a professional, highly engaged relationship with regulators. So that's something we invest in a lot. I would say that we're a large firm with large resources, and mm-hmm. you might it's an easy thing to do. Even excuse me, even as a large firm, it's not easy to uh, dedicate the time and resources we need um, uh, to do all of that properly. So I do, I do um, worry, question, you know, how sometimes some of these smaller firms might be able to do the same thing. But yeah, yeah we're, we're highly active. We also we we think deeply about policy, so we always try to participate in you know consultations generally by the IA, but sometimes direct on on UK EU um, uh, international regulatory policy work and and government policy. Mm-hmm. And taking more of a forward look for this final question. Um, what do you envision are the future trends and challenges in asset management and how do you think uh, Franklin Templeton is preparing for them? Um, yeah, so look, I, I think we've probably covered some of this. So I, I would summarise it simply by saying I think the asset management firm of the future will um, be on top of the, the technology that's driving change in the market. Yeah. Uh, it itself will know what its core focus and competency is. I think mm-hmm. um, we will work with perhaps fewer um, client relationships overall, but we will engage with those clients at a more deeper level. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we will continue to do, because you have to, is we will invest and continue to invest in our brand. Because at the end of the day, consumers making decisions based on advice from professional advisors or outsourcing responsibility on a discretionary basis to managers who then select funds or strategies from people like us. You know, you you can't be invisible. You have to have a brand that is known, that is trusted, Mm -hmm. that is engaged. Um, So um, it's very busy. You know, whether you're looking at technology, the advice market, the asset allocation, you know, the alternatives, investment market, the ETF market, passives versus active. Um, uh, that's that's not going to go away. Um, we're we're going to see, I think, more solutions than componentry end products. But but again, mm-hmm. to be credible in the solutions market, you have to have a brand that that people can engage with, um, uh, um, push and pull, and, and ultimately trust. Um, but what yeah. a great time to be in our industry. I mean, with all the challenges we have it's such an interesting intellectually interesting commercially interesting um, stimulating market to be part of and I think we're all very lucky to work in this industry in whatever capacity. 
Yeah, and I think it's always rapidly changing, so it's always really um, interesting to see where it will go. I yeah, absolutely. I said to somebody today um, that the graduate coming into our industry today is is fundamentally going to have to be equipped with a, a, a different set of skills and knowledge to you know meet thirty odd years ago. Excuse me, uh, as an English graduate. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but thank you so much for speaking uh, with me today, Martin. It was a very insightful conversation. It was my pleasure, Kimberly, and, um, and good luck with the rest of the, of the programme. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.